Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, podcast is What's Next, and uh, this is our second episode, and uh, we've already got our first sponsor, and it's Drops of Balance. Drops of Balance is a product that you put into your water, drinking water, to put back some of the minerals that are depleted from uh, land being so over-farmed, that type of thing. I think about 10 drops per gallon. I, I, I put a couple of droppers into my five-gallon before I put it in. Um, and that's, uh, like I said, just uh, depleted farmland, which is a good segue. Uh, Miss Sherry Metzger we have today. Mm-hmm. And Hi. Sherry works with uh, a lot of the, the, the farmers and the employees. And um, tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, okay, so, yeah, I've worked in agriculture most of my life, actually, even though I have another career. Okay. And um, currently, um, I mean, I've done everything in agriculture from uh, wholesale and retail sales to uh, driving a tractor to really? yeah to everything. But now that I'm old, <laughs> they've sent me back to the office, and I <laughs> mostly do HR and safety. And what okay. I do right now is I'm a safety training coordinator. Right, that's what I've talked to you about. Mm-hmm. Was the safety? What all do you do? You like run them through courses? What kind of safety are you? Yeah, so it's training. both safety and HR. Uh, so. Most, what I do is I run orientations, so employee orientations, like their first day to work is an orientation where they go through all the required trainings like pesticide safety training, um, their anti-harassment training, uh, general safety rules, heat stress. They also get a review of, you know, HR benefits and payroll and uh, food safety. So we're really big on food safety because of everything that's been going on over the past, say, 10 years, we have to make sure that customers getting clean, safe food. So What's we, been going on? What do you mean? You know, like people getting E. coli, that kind of thing. Okay. Off yeah, of that was a few years raw ago agricultural now, products. Yeah. I see. Right. And so most big companies have entire departments that handle food safety and they're constantly testing product. They have all these rules um, so that, and the, those rules are passed down to the harvesters Okay. right away at the beginning. And then every uh, two weeks they get retrained on, you know, different things that they need to know, like animal intrusion and, um, right. you know. And these are the workers that are out there in the field that mm-hmm. are actually going through these. I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I do a lot of that. And then when we're not doing orientations, we're, you know, setting up our CPR trainings. We're uh, doing scissor lift trainings. I'm right, currently working on an active shooter training program. So we could train everybody how to respond if somebody shows up with a gun, because that seems to be happening more and more. The, yeah, right? the thing, yeah, we have to look yeah. out for. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. There's just a zillion different kinds of training that we're working on. And sometimes I'm doing the training myself. Sometimes I'm coordinating with colleagues who do the training. Sometimes I'm pulling in third-party trainers. Like our CPR instructor is uh, someone who's been doing CPR all his life. He's been in the medical field. He's an EMT paramedic. And he, he it's better. He's, like, fantastic. Okay. So I have a third party come in and do CPR right, training. Right, right. Okay. So you have separate people that come in. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. How do you communicate? I mean, I know you because I, you were a massage therapist for 20 years, and as soon as we met, we became fast friends. So we've talked about a lot of different things. Um, but, um, yeah, tell me a little bit about uh, you started to massage like 20 years, you said, and you until, until you had hurt your wrist or had to have some – tell yeah, me a little bit about so that. that was my second love was massage therapy. So I've always done agriculture, but because I was a very um, – 
uh, well, I had my own back problems because oh, of all the physical okay. work I sure, did, sure. and I also was an athlete, so right. you know, I hurt you myself. knew where all the pain was. Yeah, and I was very right. reckless, a very reckless youth, so, you know, <laughs> I was flipping over my handlebars of my mountain bike or, or lifting heavy things right. in the agricultural world and that I should have asked for help. You shouldn't have been, sure, yeah, right, right, And I didn't because right. I had something to prove, I guess, and... So um, I took an interest in massage therapy because I was getting massage therapy along with other kinds oh, of therapy. Oh, I see. And it was working for me. Right. And I ran across a woman uh, who owned a school. Uh, she was one of the people who worked on me. And she kept telling me, oh, you'd make a great therapist. I'm like, no, 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 I'm a farmer. No, 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 no. And she, she dragged me kicking and screaming down to her school just to see it. Right. And the next thing I knew, I was taking classes at night. And then I got certified because I, you know, I've always been very active and curious. I had a like a side business of massage therapy. I see. So I okay. do my ag job in the day, and then I do massage therapy All at night right. and on the weekends. Right, right. You know, I slept like four to five hours and back up and do it again. Wow. But then I, you know, I went to massage full time and ran oh, my did you? business. Okay. And then, but then I came back to ag. Did you? So okay. It's kind of my short. Yeah, you said you, you said you worked on some Hollywood stars, worked on a prince, you worked on twenty years. That's, that's yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, major. I was in the North Bay, so Real, okay. you know, Marin, Sonoma, Napa counties uh, attract a lot of um, you know high profile um, clientele for the resorts and the spas. And yes, and I. I signed a waiver at one of these places. Never oh, mentioned their name. So, well, we can say it. I just, <laughs> I just can't say their names. Right, right? exactly. So, yeah, They're I did. Very generic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, right. yep. and I also worked on a lot of athletes. Oh, did you? A lot of athletes okay. for clients because I was an athlete. So that was. Right. I love that. Yeah. A you big know. interest of mine was people right, who were really right. working out and keeping exactly. their bodies in good right. shape. When the muscles are in good shape. Yeah. And they're, yeah, exactly. Yeah. When we, we work on all different kinds, but. Uh, yes, know, I just yeah. I love the I love the uh, sports injuries, <laughs> scoliosis, car accidents, because you really feel like you're making a difference. You're making you're a really difference. Helping. You're yeah. helping people. Right, right. You know, yeah. so many yeah. so many people. A lady just came in. She said, "You know, my my uh, therapist uh, was a, a therapist told her not to do massage because it wasn't helping, and to you know, and she'd heard that from chiropractors." I thought that's very strange. I don't understand why they would say that that the massage doesn't do any good when we're loosening the muscles and we're elongating and stretching and pushing all the toxic crap out of the muscle fibers. Seems like we're doing some good, you know. It just just makes me so mad. My doctor, my medic, my you know, my family practitioner, my general practitioner, she, you know, you know, because she gave me a prescription she was like you've got to get massages <laughs> right, right i mean we we have there's so much um, sure. empirical evidence that massage oh, exactly. does great things right. including de-stress yeah we have a lot of doctors that come in too so yeah you yeah. know so that's odd to hear that person obviously is right. not informed right mm-hmm. right right well I, I don't mean to jump around a little bit i was just giving them a little background why we know each other and we talk so much um <clears throat> so i know you speak fluent spanish i was going to yes. ask you how do you communicate with the people out in the field. Obviously, you, you speak Spanish, and yes. I know that because I yeah. know you. Yeah. But tell me a little bit about that. How'd you come across that? Well, I learned from them. Did you? Uh, so when I first... Okay. Uh, so you've been in agriculture all your life, so it's it's just kind of a... You have to. Well, and I just was gregarious. I was not shy. I, I, I realized yeah. when I got to California 40 years ago, and because I came here because of agriculture. This is this is the forefront oh, I of see. agriculture. Okay. When I got here, I, I worked in the field, and I worked uh, you know, in packing sheds and... 
And I thought, I said, I looked around, I said, oh boy, I better learn this language because these are the people I need to be able to speak to. Yeah. So I bought a stack of books and at night I would study no and I'd ask people, you know, am I saying this right? How do you say yeah, this? Yeah. How do you say that? And so slang and there's, you know, exactly. it's different from book to, yeah. Right. So like the colloquial language, right. the cultural language. And that's how I first learned it was from the people. Right. And I picked it up really easily. It's, Did you really? Yeah. Like you just got that kind of mind, just soaked it right up. Language yeah. works for me, yeah. Right. Not everything works for me, but that's one thing that works for me. <laughs> right, and it right, was really easy, right. and I, I could memorize it really quickly. And then uh, when I was 50, and I went back to school, because I never went to university, I okay. went to school when I was 50. The first degree I got was Spanish. I thought, okay, cool, let's get a degree to back up all this experience. Right, right? put that on a resume. And I, my professor was from Guadalajara. So really? She okay. was a native speaker. No kidding. Yeah, and um, I made a huge leap. Right, right. Yeah, I think he, he said you, in fact, um, dated a guy that didn't speak English for a while. Uh, actually, my husband. Oh, he's a husband? Yeah, I okay. married someone who was born and raised in Mexico. So you need fluent, right? So when you yep. say you're fluent... That's like everyday life, living with somebody. Yeah. yeah that's about yeah. as fluent as you can get, huh? Yep, yep. Because that's what it takes, you know? <laughs> yeah, you can right. do all the books you yeah, want. Yeah, you hear that, don't you? You yep. can learn all you want, but until you get yourself submersed into that, yeah, I've heard that before. I think that's, that's like so with true. anything, right? Yeah. You have to dive in right. to whatever you want to do, yeah. or you're and or you're not going to learn it. Right, right? for sure. Yeah. So tell me where you grew up. Where'd you grow up? California? Uh, no, I grew up in New England, actually. New England, wow. Yeah, in Connecticut. A long way from home. Yeah, and I have, but I haven't lived there since I was seventeen, oh, okay. and I'm sixty-three. So let's do the math. Like so you went off to college, <laughs> and just went off to college and didn't anything no, like that. No, I or didn't just... go to college. Okay, I just got in the back of a forty-eight Chevy pickup truck with friends. See ya. And <laughs> headed west because I was in love with agriculture, and uh-huh. I knew if I was going to have an agricultural career, I needed to be in California. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, I mean, I'm from Michigan, and we have quite an agricultural. You know, we have corn and a lot of onions and cherries and, you know, all that kind sunflowers of thing. Sunflowers, too. Don't you guys have huge, sunflowers? Huge, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. right. Asparagus is huge. You know, it's beautiful black dirt up there. But it's seasonal. Yeah. So, they, you know, the people that are working in the, on the farms, they take off for Texas or Florida or wherever when the snow starts flying or long before. You know? Right, right. So I'm used, to, I'm used to more of a real migrant worker that are moving back mm-hmm. and forth to one side of the country to the other. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so that's why, I, you know about migrant um so yeah that's that's the only um i mean there's a lot of towns up up north and everything where you know it's a very high spanish population from you know a lot of people living there and generations and generations living there i'm sure you know and they work in the fields yes they do yeah Yeah, that's the thing is we wouldn't eat if they weren't here right and that's something that needs to be said but over the generations as maybe grandpa came in here as a farmer maybe the daughter got a house sent the kids to college, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So, I mean, it's progressed into, you know, more than just agricultural communities in there. Well, it's true, and that is a really good point. Uh, Right now, the agricultural community here in Monterey County, Mm -hmm. mostly Salinas and the Salinas Valley, but uh, we are everyone, every single uh, employer in the Salinas Valley is struggling to find employees. Really? And um, it's a huge thing, and people are getting together. There's committees. People are talking about it. What are we going to do? Um, basically, we cannot find enough people to harvest because um, of the kids. Of the kids don't want to do, do it. Do it. They're in the office now, right. doing things like what right. I'm doing, right? Or they've gone off and become nurses, or 
or they're continuing their education and they want to become something else. They're not, they don't want to break their backs harvesting everybody's food. Right. So, and we, well, and we won't talk about politics, but politics have, have kind of shut down the migration over the border and we don't have a program um, well, not we do actually have a program, and it's complicated, and people are starting to lean towards that, and that's the H-2A program. Mm. And that is a dignified program where people can come over the border legally with an identification. Employers are fully responsible for everything. They have to provide them housing, transportation, uh, a place to cook or, or food, rides back and forth like to doctors and stores. And they're able to stay here for a season, and then they mm. have to go back to Mexico. Okay. And that is what is happening now. And hopefully they're going to make the H-2A program more user-friendly mm. because uh, without these people, we aren't going to have food. It doesn't matter whether you eat vegetables or not. They also work in the slaughterhouses. They also work in the canning companies like Contadina and Muir Glen and Hunts. They are the people who are producing and processing our food. Right. So there is this H-2A program, but it's complicated because think about it. If you're um, an agricultural employer, you have to provide housing for them. How expensive is that? And the law uh, makes it so that they have to have a specific type of housing. It can't be some dump where there's not hot and cold running water. Sure. And there's no, right. it has to be a certain square meet feet. A, it has to I meet see, standards, right. standards that it should meet. Right, right. right. Um, but this is the new thing is this H2A program. And uh, that's where a lot of companies are going because there are not people to harvest our food. Yeah. And, and actually there was something on the, on the TV in Arizona. My mom called me to say, Hey, I saw this program about farmers in Georgia who don't have enough people. And they actually dissed in acres and acres and acres of tomatoes and other things because they couldn't get anybody to work either. So this is not just a California thing. Mm. This is a, you know, countrywide issue. Sure, right. So that's one of the up and coming discussions that needs to happen and needs to happen now right. because we can't live without food and we don't want to be outsourcing food. Yeah. It goes, goes across the board. I was, I, I've had an ad out to hire therapists for over a week now. I haven't got a peep back. You know, I don't know when I, when I, when I came to California, I came with a stack of resumes and I just went to every place that offered massages and I went and talked to them. I didn't hear back from within, within a week. I went and talked to him again. It's like, I've been here for 10 years. I've never had anybody come in and ask me for a job. It seems very odd to me, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's I've, I hear there's a lot of therapists around. Whether they just don't, I don't know. I don't understand why, you know, it's, it's odd. It's very odd that nobody would just call me. I'm pretty high up on Yelp. Seems like somebody would might want to work here. I would think so, like especially Never. that they would have their own. You have a studio space for them, sure, right? Yeah, so they, they would have their own room. room. They could have put it everything. together the way they right, wanted right. it to be. Decorated it for them, you know. Get to it, but I don't know. Well, I think odd. you and I have talked about like giving away a lot of money for people to stay home, right? So if people are making right, money to exactly. stay home, then I wonder if that's it. If they're just yeah, being sure. paid to stay home right now and they're scared, or uh, you know. You're pretty close up on people, so if you're scared of the COVID, you probably... Yeah, that's true. But you can wear a mask and you can sanitize, Yeah, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it. Well, that's interesting that you mentioned that because the the woman who cleans for my company, Uh uh, she's a great woman. She she actually used to work for the company I work for, and then um, she started her own cleaning company with the support of the company. 
they they helped her. I see. And so she dedicates herself pretty much to Diego, but she had other clients. Well, she's lost some people over COVID. She lost some of her uh, her employees because they could make more money to stay home, and they're still making more money. Right. And she's been begging them come back to work. Exactly. I'll give you a raise. They don't. They're like making one of her That's girls is making three thousand dollars between all yeah, the different mercy. types of welfare. $3,000 a month to stay home with her kids. Wow. And so she has had to turn away clients who want her to clean for them. What was that beep? There was a beep. There was a was beep. Was that a camera? It sounded like it came from over here, but I'm not sure. We don't want to be turned off. We're on a roll, right? No, what happened? Perfect. It's going. Okay. New equipment, that's cool. Maybe it overheated. I don't know. It's a goofy little <laughs> Maybe it was in just there. Uh, beeping. Maybe it's a timer or something. It agreed with you. Like, woo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what else is going on in your life? You came here from the gym. It's not like you're working out, huh? Yeah. Well, I am, you know, because I've told you, I am fascinated with the topic that you've chosen for your podcast. Yeah. What's next? I think, uh, I think everybody asks themselves that. Mm maybe even more than once in their life. Right. 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 Um, and it's interesting that we are doing this today because yesterday I did something I've never done before. Um, Do tell. I, yeah. So I've been asking myself a lot, what's next? What's next? You know, I'm 63. I would like to retire. Can I retire? What's next? What's next? What's my purpose? And I, I, I don't know what happened. It came over me, but I, I went to a shamanic healer yesterday. Wow. I've never done anything like this before. Okay. And it was pretty phenomenal. Um, I just Googled shamanic healers near me now, right? Right. And this I don't know woman shamanic. Up. What is that? What is that word? Shamanic. Well, well I think it's um, it's an old term based on cultural practices uh, for calling in higher power to heal people, right? Okay. And to clear energy. Right. I think that's I sort see. of in a nutshell. Okay. And there's different um, schools of thinking about this, right? Like the indigenous peoples of most lands mm. had a, a shamanic healer. I see. Uh, a healer, right? right? A medicine man or medicine yeah. woman. And um, people are still practicing that. And I've never done it, although you know, I'm very open-minded and I'm very curious. Mm. And I thought, I want to go and experience this. Right. Um, and maybe it'll help me, right? So the very first thing that really impressed me about her was she told me right away, she says, you know, I'm not, I don't have answers for you. Nobody has answers for you. You have If that's what you're searching searching for, I don't have them. She says, you have the answers. What I'm going to do is get you into your body, get you settled Uh and out of this restless craziness of what's my purpose? What's my purpose? She said, and you're going to have the answers. And I Uh thought, okay, that's cool. That made sense to me, right? Right. It didn't feel like there was no ego around her work at all. And... She had her hands like kind of on my belly for a while and, you know, one underneath my back and one on top. It was very um, uh, non-offensive uh, kind of energy work. Mm-hmm. And she was talking to me about things and she talked to me about things that she saw or that came up. Mm. And she said to me, you know, you're all concerned about your purpose. Like, what's your purpose now, right? Because you're 63 and what do you... She goes, your purpose is to make yourself happy to like find things that right, give you joy right. because if you, if you're happy then 
that's what you're going to give to other people. Right, exactly. And then your, your creativity will come out of that mm-hmm. happiness. Yeah, and I thought, oh my goodness sakes alive, this is, that makes so much sense to me. Right. right. And life is so Not short. Not that you didn't know that already, I but to have so, somebody yeah. read it and tell you, you know, this is, yeah, almost giving you the okay or something, huh? You know, and I think I probably, and she also said, we, we need to make decisions not just with our head. She says, and that's something that she does by what she calls getting you into your body. Mm. She said, people need to make decisions that involve the heart, mm. the belly, and the head. And that those three things should be, because your, your, your belly is like your gut, your gut intuition, right. you know, your instincts. Sure. Right? Your heart is your compassion and how mm. you feel about things right. Right? and how things make you feel. And then your head is the thinking process. But she says most people get so caught up in their head and we got to analyze it. We got to, you know, make it's got to be the right thing. Right. It's got to make sense. It's got to be logical. She says sometimes choices are not logical at first, but the logic comes out later on. Right. And she said, I, I just Go tell by the people, gut feeling. Exactly. Huh? Right. Use your heart, your gut, and your head together yeah. to find your next purpose. Right, right, right. And that made so much sense to me. So I've been walking around all, um, like, since yesterday and today, like, really feeling, like, trying to see the connection of my gut and my heart and my head, because they're all in one body, right? Yeah. Here they are. Right. I, I have all three. But a lot of different forces that have to kind of come together, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so... I, I'm now approaching what my, what's next for me Mm. by trying to feel it, uh, get the intuition about it Mm. and also make sure that it makes sense from the thinking process. Right. Right. And, and going on what she says, it's like, do things that give you joy, do things that make you happy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was up at six o'clock in the morning cultivating my garden. That made me really happy. There you right? go. Right. Yeah. And had some problems with your tomatoes or something. Oh, I ripped them all out. They had worms. Just tore them all out. Yeah, I ripped them all. They had worms. I have too small of a garden for those tomatoes. But it yeah. made me happy to rip them out because I cleaned up everything. Right. Right. So. right. If you're not going to behave, you can have to leave because we need this room here it's a limited <laughs> space here we'll grow exactly. some cucumbers or something if yeah. you're not going to behave <laughs> exactly they were behaving that's right yeah. right misbehaving to me that's yeah. right right yep so tell me about a neighborhood cat sneaking in there oh yeah so your <laughs> i know i probably shouldn't rip out the tomatoes because i had great entertainment so uh, early in the mornings when i have my tea or coffee uh, i open my shades uh-huh. it's just getting light because uh-huh. i get up really early and this cat has been dropping out of the sky, or it looks like that, because I can't see where he's jumping from. So it looks like, boom, he drops out of the sky, and it always is really cute. And he does this, like, little cat kind of uh, slinking thing, and then uh, he has been catching rats that have been coming in to eat my tomatoes. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So he slinks (laughs) around, and I'll see the rat, and then I'm like, no, don't look at me, look at the rat, right? And... Then he goes in where the rat went in, and he pops out the other side with a big fat rat in his mouth. Perfect. And then he leaps to the top of the six-foot fence without an effort with that big fat rat wow. in his head. Right. And it's been great morning entertainment, That's I guess. That's great. Right? Keep those cats coming. But now I ripped out the tomatoes. No, no rats, no cats, right? <laughs> They'll go after something else. Yeah, yeah. So you just got a small garden. You want to... Yeah, I'm a displaced farmer. I've got... Two feet by eight yeah. feet. If you're going to retire, you're thinking about retiring, you're going to need more than 
six by eight feet. I know. I need like a hundred acres. Yeah. Oh, geez. But can you imagine doing that right by yourself? Yeah. Right? No. Maybe ten or twenty acres. Maybe. Oh, what would you grow? Uh, I'd like to grow fruit trees, mm. nut trees, um, uh, you name it, vegetables, any kind of, all kinds of vegetables. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I like horticultural plants too, like mm. vines, wisteria, and right. hardenbergia, and roses. And boy, it would be great to, but I, I tend to lean towards drought resistant now. We need to be oh, thinking yeah. about that. Right, right. So. But you can put drip lines in and not waste sure. a lot of water. Right, right. But I can't do that by myself. No. Yeah. So that's not what's next for me. That's not what's that, next. That's a dream it's that I... Simpler. Yeah. I was talking to a gal the other day and her, her dad's you know retired up in his 80s and he's got a little plot of land and he grows all his corn so he can make his tortillas and he, he grows... Wow. Uh, what else was it? Uh, some type of a, some type of a, not a chia seed, but something like that, so he could sell that for a little bit of money. And he just yeah, he just he just tends his little lander. I don't know exactly how much he has, but you know, probably a few acres and just grows his own stuff. It's like, and I bet he is life. really happy. He's so I bet he is. Nuts yeah. through the dirt. Sure. Yeah. Right. It's a not great a ton life. Of cares in the world, you know. Yeah. Watching nature oh, do neat. its thing. Right. Yeah. And then taking that and making corn tortillas and. You Eating and yeah, uh, you know that's. I always thought that's neat to have a garden, be able to, you know, actually use it. Right. I'm not a huge cook, but I know a lot of people. You know, they have all their gardening, and they you know get their peppers, and they get their cucumbers, and their tomatoes, like you, and mm-hmm. just make it all part of the meal. Well, I grew up like that in yeah. the country with oh, big gardens, and right. How cool. my mom wasn't into canning, but she we would blanch and freeze all our okay. stuff. Okay, sure, yeah, yeah. We would store down in our basement we, in in big hay uh, barrels with hay. We'd oh, store our great. hard squash and our that's onions great. and our potatoes, and so I grew up like oh. that. And it is kind of sad that I don't have that but yeah uh, i've had i've done it for other people you gotta start your own podcast yeah <laughs> teaching people how to live off the grid or well that was one of my their dreams own foods or that was do, one of my dreams yeah wouldn't that be neat have a big community land yeah. where people came in and learned right now you know agricultural you know people you know teaching you know electronics you're good to go yeah, yeah. It'd be easy well, retirement. And you know what? I, I think in the future people are going to need that kind of education. Because, sure, I think so. Uh, you know, with with petroleum running out and it's going to be really expensive. I mean, mm. we're running out of fossil fuels, right? We will, and we're consuming it like uh, like drug addicts, and we're just sucking right. up petroleum products left and right. And we're going to actually run low in probably a couple generations. I mean, people are going to need to know how to plant food in their backyard because we aren't going to be able to transport all this food all over the place. I saw, I heard a scientist say one time that we have uh, maybe 20 years worth or I forget exactly the number of X amount of years we have um, that we already have in reserve. Mm. But if we burned it at that rate, the air would be unsustainable for humans. So we already have enough oil to destroy the planet. Yeah. But they're spending millions and millions of dollars every year to find new processes to take more oil out of the ground. And it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me unless the, unless the scientist is just playing kind of some scare tactic or whatever. And we, you know, but. I don't think they are. 
I, think, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Like, who's at the top of these oil companies going, yeah, let's go get some more? Well, because they're making millions of dollars. It's not one guy, going, right? It's making millions. It's a, and money talks. Right, right. And logic does not. Right, People right. Are it's not, just, it's not logical. No. doesn't make sense. We need to, there's alternatives. We already have the science. I don't know why we're yeah. not using it. I mean, I think the young people are going to do it. I have a lot of oh, faith for sure. in them. They're going to sure. do we, it. They have to. They're good. We've left them with a mess. Yeah, I know, right? They have to, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've, other people have said, like the, the Green Deal, let's do this Green Deal. So we're just working on um, solar and wind. Unfortunately, we, we, can, only process, we can only make about 20% of what we need to survive right now, the rest has to be fossil fuel. So uh, it's a great idea to switch over to green, but it just doesn't seem possible yet. So that's what I'm, you know, when you say the kids, that's what they're going to have to pick up the ball and make some type of sustainable um, that we can use if we're going to get rid of fossil fuel. Because it, it'd be really tough to with making plastics and a very small percentage actually goes to making fuel. You know, right, plastics so. and, and and running running manufacturing companies to make other things. Right, 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 right. Yeah. exactly. So well, it's not I just think- the cars. It's not just the fuel. It's like it's easy to get mad at that and global warming. We're giving off. You know, I understand that, but in reality, the oil that's coming out of the ground is mostly going to manufacturing. Right, right, know. and the and the and the manufacturing of products. Right, know. right, right. Too much plastic, though. Plastics, plastic. yeah. yeah. Something's got to be done, you know. But, it, you know, there's there's, there's ways to get around that. I think there but is. But it's just not economically, you know, yet. I or, think there is, though. Like, sure. There's, we don't, we don't, we could replace plastics. Sure. We right. could. It would be um, a huge ass. Well, I don't know. Maybe the hospitals would be a little hard time uh, with the plastics, you know. We'd have to get around that. It's not like we can just turn off the, the the oil. We need, but we need to be working towards it. We need to be working like little towards by, it. Every, right, every day, right, every right. month, every year, right. people who are intelligent and know about these things exactly. need to be working towards right. a more sustainable, more sustainable products. Right, exactly. Because what we're doing now is not sustainable. No, the landfills, it's just incredible. Yeah, and they're not, uh, the garbage isn't breaking down. No. I took an environmental science class um, a few years back and- they, you know, dumps, you know, how they, they, they'll cover them up and they stick those pipes in to let the right, methane right. gas yeah, out. exactly. And they're trying to, sure. then they go back in like 30 years later and they've gone back into some of these. Have they? And the garbage is like petrified. It's still there. And the only thing that's, like food products and stuff is, have is decomposed, but the all the garbage in the plastic bags is like, is as if it, nothing has happened to it. Because I've wondered that before. Yeah, when you're throwing it into plastic bags, might as well put well, a rain on it. It's plastic and it's anaerobic down there, right? So What's there's anaerobic? nothing. What does that mean? Oh, it means without oxygen, right? I so see. it's not, there's no breaking down of any of this oh, stuff. Oh, okay, right, and, right. Um, so they cover back up, but we need to, we need to change how we do things. Really. Right. It's just, it's just mind boggling, you know, how much yeah. trash we go through and, you know, you hear, I heard many years ago about how they were having problems shipping barges over. They were trying to ship them over to Canada, and people were buying our garbage. and Over oh, recycling, right? Or I think they were just buying it, putting it in their landfills. Oh, I don't know. Really? Just because we were didn't have any enough room in New York or wherever that was, they were just shipping it all out, and it would go up to Canada, and they would 
pay them to get rid of it, you know. Because they got so much more land just too there. many people. Yeah, uh, just too many people in one place. That was years ago I heard that, but I couldn't have stopped. Yeah, we more make people a in lot New York of there garbage. Was then. We make a lot oh, of garbage. It's sad, right, yeah. right, you know. Well, we can't solve that problem today. No, but, but thinking about what's next is that's something that's next. That's is next. We need to right. deal with this. Right. And I don't know. I think the young people will, they'll make it happen. There's a lot of really smart young people out there who are seeing where we're at. They're mm-hmm. paying attention. Mm-hmm. And I think they want to make things different in many way, on many levels mm-hmm. of society. And I think they'll figure it out. Yeah. I wish there was something I could do about it. But yeah. I, you know what? I recycle everything possible. Even like when I go home, like for instance, I've got this. Uh, well, this is actually comp- compostable. This see here, here's an here's an example. Plastic. See, right? It's I know it's not there. made. It's made from corn. It's actually not plastic. Is it really? Yeah, and there's a bunch That's of incredible. this. Incredible. Yeah, they can from banana fiber, from corn, and from potato. They're making right. a lot of things that look like plastic. But they're actually compostable. So see, see that's why I'm saying that the, the hospitals can't get away from plastics, but maybe they can. I think they can. I don't know if that would, you know, I don't know drugs or whatever would eat through that. I don't know the scientists, mm. scientifics behind it, but right, it's a good. It's got to be right. It's a good point. Right. Yeah. Stop feeding the humans the corn and start making it into some <laughs> plastics. Yeah. Well, and it's not plastic. It's it's something else. Right, it's right. compostable, compostable plant plastic. fiber. Right, yeah. Exactly. So like this is really cool. This is from one of the local coffee shops and instead of using plastic, they're using these certified compostable cups. And, Perfect. You know, that's going to go thing. Yep, that'll that'll break down. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny. The last person I had in here, he was just getting out of the uh, the military, and I asked him what's next, and it's just kind of in the middle of a change right now. It seems like you may be in, too. I what's am. next is kind of a, uh, not ready to answer that question yet, huh? Well, you know, since my shamanic uh, encounter, uh-huh. and you know, I'm thinking about purpose, and I, I actually d- I downloaded some stuff today, because I'm thinking about how you how we're engaged on a daily basis. Like if you, if, if, if our purpose in life, according to the shaman was to make ourselves happy, right. To do things that give us joy. You think, well, but I got to work for a living. Right. So can I work at something that gives me joy? I mean, I'm imagining you probably get a lot of joy out of what you're doing. When I did massage, I got a lot of joy out of it. And for the reasons we just talked about that, you feel like you're making a difference in people's lives. Right. Right. So I was thinking a lot about that, like what I'm doing right now. And the, the truth is, I don't feel like I'm making a big difference in people's lives. I feel like I'm checking off a box uh, for legal compliance for a company. And yep, look, we did it. But the people who I'm teaching and training, very little of what I'm teaching and training is really very effective mm. or that they really care or give a hoot right. about it. And they Just know checking the box that I'm checking the box too. Right. And some of them right. even said that to me, like, Sherry, you're really great. We really like that you come out here with all this positive energy, <laughs> but we know that we're just, <laughs> just, we're here because we're paid to be here yes, right. and the company's checking off a box. I've actually right. had employees say that to me right. and I stand there with a big, big little <laughs> smile on going, yeah, but there's yeah, good information but- here, right? <laughs> So I was thinking a lot about engagement because after somebody says that to you, uh-huh. you, know, you go home thinking, oh, my God, you know, and how do you go back and you keep being engaged? Right? Right? 
And I was thinking about employee engagement, and I've got some really interesting uh, download stuff here. Uh, do you know that in in statistics, um, 59%, here it is right here, 59% of um, Americans, wait a minute, 53% of U.S. workers say they're not engaged at all. Really? That's over half of the people. This is a this Gallup, is all workers. Gallup poll. Yeah, it's a right, Gallup poll. Right. Gallup does some great research. 53% of the people that they uh, surveyed say, nope, I just, I go to work. I, I do what I have to do. I try to do the as best I can, but it's the minimal. You know, I try to do the minimal mm-hmm. and I go home. I get my paycheck. I go home right. and, and they're not engaged, right? And so I think about that and I see it in my own office space. Like, I'm going to tell you the truth. I work with hundreds of people sure, and actually thousands of people, but right in my local, not local, but my, my, my department and the departments I, I integrate mm-hmm. with a lot. Nobody's engaged. Nobody, huh? No, are you kidding? They're in there. They live for their 15 minute breaks, their 30 or 60 minute lunches and their weekends. It's like, you know, for sure. Somebody's going to say to you, Oh, it's Monday. Oh my God. Thank God. It's Wednesday. Hey, it's Friday. You know, <laughs> And they're looking at their watches and they're looking, Oh, oh it's break time. You yeah, know? And I'm right. thinking what a way to live. Yeah. Like I don't want, I've never wanted to be like that. And no. I've, I've never been like that until now. Right. Like I'm suddenly finding myself in the same boat. Like I'm living for Friday. Like I go in, I get up every morning. I'm like, Oh my God, I got to go back and do that again. You yeah. know? Cause it's somebody right. else's dream. And I know I'm not really somebody else's dream making a difference. Exactly. Right. And I think 53% of Americans are doing that. And that seems to me very sad. Yeah. Like what if we were in love with what we were doing? Like, is there a way to make that happen? Mm. So I think like personally, I mean, I, I'm not responsible for 53% or any percent of American workers. I'm only responsible for myself. That's right? right. So that's what's next for me is how can I continue to contribute to society? And, and it brings me joy and I can make a difference again. Right. right? Like I want to make a, a difference. Thing. If I learned nothing else during the pandemic, you know, they came in and they shut my place down for nine months and although I had all that time, I just, I, it was hard for me to not have a purpose. You know, if you don't have a, a purpose when you get up in the morning, other than I got to go water the plants, feed the fish, go visit my studio that I haven't given a massage in in months and months and months. It's, it's hard, you know. I had other things to do too, you know, but without that purpose, Life was just so shallow. Yeah. Right. Because it's, it's only about you, then the fish and everything is only you and your yeah, little world. Right. right and you right. could hear that. You could feel that in your emails to your clients. Like I remember reading your emails when yeah. you're giving us the update on <laughs> right. what the CDC was saying to you and yeah, the local right. government. And I could, I could hear your, um, and I cannot hear. Well, yes, yeah, sort of hear it. Right. I was reading your you email and it. I could feel, oh my God, he's really bummed out about it. Right, I was too, right, you know. I've never had a job that, well, you know, I've built houses for a long time and it's, it's very you know rewarding to stand back and look at a house or a mansion that was mm-hmm. uh, just a plot of dirt a minute ago or a month ago and now it's this big, beautiful house. That's very rewarding. But uh, this is on a personal level, mm. person to person, you know, this is different because I can actually work through different po- problems that people have and just yeah. without that purpose. 
like, but I would I would defend your carpentry thing is because you build a home for people and right. it may not have touched them physically, right. but you you provided a home right. and home is so important. And I like us. the idea that house will be here long after I'm gone. Yeah, and generations and generations of people will use that house. You know, first the Jones will live there and then the Smiths and it just keeps selling and so many people get to enjoy that home over, you know, the next hundred years. I like like that. That's yeah. really cool because they'll go through and remodel and rip it apart, make it their own. You know, I love housing. You know, yeah. Right yeah. There. No, that is a beautiful. I mean, that carpentry is, has, has a, that is a, a career that's uh, got a lot of honor. Yeah. And it's ancient. I mean, it's right. very old. Yeah, career, right. right? The Jewish carpenter was Jesus, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it goes all the way back. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I think that, that you very much uh, affected people's lives in that yeah. in that work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And building a pole barn for them or doing a garage or just remodeling their bathroom. It just changes their whole life. Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. It's kind of neat. You know? But nothing like getting somebody and taking their pain away. Yeah. And making yeah. them. You know, you, you've seen that many times if you have repeat customers that somebody will come in and they're sad and they're wearing dark clothes and their makeup's not on and their hair's not right and they've been living with the shoulder problem. I can't. And then a month later, they come in and they got their jewelry on, their makeup's on, they're mm-hmm. wearing bright colors and, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll say, oh, I'm just, I've just been feeling better lately. And, you know, it's maybe a little bit has to do with you and taking that pain away. Right, right. That constant, you know, that constant vice on your head or your shoulder or whatever. Mm-hmm. It just takes you down. You know, you had a little bit of part to do with making that girl's or man's life a little better. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we all need a purpose. Yeah. um, I mean, I think everybody feels differently about it, but for sure, uh, I think when we don't have a purpose, we're wandering around looking for one. Right, right, right. I mean, there may be people who disagree with that, but I have a feeling most people would probably agree with it. Well, a huge, like you said, like a huge percentage of people, watching a podcast one time and the guy was, um, what's his name? Gail something. But, um, he was saying what a huge percentage of people, if you just walk up to on the street and say, why do you go to work ever in the morning? And they would have absolutely no idea other than that's what people do. I have to pay I'm my mortgage. To do. I have to feed my kids. I don't know. Yep. Or they just don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They're just doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Just following it. You know, oh, that brings up that's something hard. else I've been thinking a lot about because uh, I, I don't know you like I really loved uh, Henry Thoreau Henry David Thoreau's work yeah um, and part of it is because he was a naturalist and um, I, I've been thinking a lot about his uh, his quote or, or his statement in Walden you know when he went out and did the Walden experience he lived on Walden Pond he, he lived in a cabin in the woods right, right. He, with nothing yeah and that was his not experiment. familiar with it but I know yeah. oh yeah. so in that book, and this is a very famous uh, saying that a lot of people talk about. It's in that book. He the quoted saying is the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. I mean, that was his view of society. I've heard that many right? times. I mean, right. obviously, uh, if he lived in this day and age where we now know that women uh, are real human beings too, he might have said the mass of people. Right. But right. Right. I, this I, I I downloaded this article because it's by this professor of philosophy and he he disagrees with Thoreau and he says there's no 
you know, did Thoreau actually talk to the masses of men and how did he know that? Yeah. And he thinks that we've, a lot of people are misinterpreting Thoreau's uh, statement. He, he, he's think, he thinks that people are trying to apply that now to, you know, how um, different. people are depressed all the time and that they, they yeah. it, but, and he thinks that um, it's not true. That there's no way that Thoreau could know that the mass of people were living in quiet desperation. But I'm telling you, I, I've traveled a lot and mm. I haven't speak, spoken to all the masses, but I've traveled a lot. <laughs> I've worked with a lot of different kinds of people from cross-cultural uh-huh. and cross-socioeconomic uh, uh, demographics. Sure. And just speaking about employee engagement, I think the masses do live in quiet aspiration. And to answer your question about why people go to work, they go to work because money's the bottom line in this country everything is about money and they have to pay a mortgage and they have to feed their kids and they have to pay their bills and if they don't go to work those things aren't going to happen right Mm -hmm. their kids aren't going to go to college their kids aren't going to have clothes and we all know what it costs to live here right Mm -hmm. so i think a lot about that about that why we go to work isn't necessarily because it brings us joy or because we have a purpose it gives us purpose Mm -hmm the purpose then becomes just to bring in the money to make sure your family stays right, under the roof, right? you know, and that they have food. Which leaves you so shallow other than the feeling that, you know, you've supported your family and everything, but. And I often you know. think about that. Like, what if community was different? Like, what if, um, people actually, if, they, if we were living more in integrated communities where the community supported itself, where, um, people, had more time with family and with community so that they weren't constantly in quiet desperation, getting up every day at five to drive that commute, to get in that job, do their employer's dream. Like what if we could create something different where people didn't maybe have to even work 40 hours a week. Maybe they work 30 hours a week. Then they have extra time. Well, see, that's a big question with what I do with this podcast like what's next for all the people that you know are middle class that used to work in manufacturing and now they're stuck either at McDonald's or you know there's stuck at working at a big box store Walmart Walmart or something like that just driving them down into the dirt or not working at all and earning not enough money to really right. make a difference in their right, lives right, right? right. hand to mouth hand right, to mouth exactly so that's uh, yeah. That's a huge. That's a huge part. If if we could come, if we could design a better society, that you know we could do more. What am I trying to say? Without having to work at you know somebody else's dream, you know I think that's really coming around. I've got the, uh, you know I watch a lot of YouTube, and it seems like the younger folks, you know the twenty thirty year olds, are getting back into, like you say, the farming, making their own knives, making their own buckets, doing things by hand, all that, you know, cool things. So they are, it's starting to get, come back to wanting to work with their hands, I think. Um, so. Well, and also I, what I see with the young people is they're not willing to do, like say what my dad did and what my dad taught me to do, which is like break your back for somebody. Right. Like, oh, the job isn't done. So I end up staying 12 hours and then I'm exhausted. And the next day is another 10 hours because, Oh, I got to impress my boss. They're like, uh, I, I need to go home. I've right. got, I've got friends coming and I've got to go to the gym and they are, 
much better than I am mm. at setting their boundaries. I and see, good. Right. I, that's what I, I think that they're going to figure out a way so that they can balance their life, their personal life with their work life. Right. And that's, I think, what what one of the things that's what's next and yeah. how we can bring, um, get people engaged in by, by developing communities that support each other. I think it's time for us to stop thinking that there's a leader that's going to save us. You know, we need to get out of this John Wayne, Superman, you know, the, someone, what did Gil Scott Heron say? The, you know, the, all the heroes in his songs about, you know, we were, we were so addicted to having somebody come in and save us from ourselves. Right. 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 Our leaders aren't doing that anymore. I don't no. care which leader, right. none of them are doing that. They've forgotten what their job is. It's time got for us to bring purpose, it they? to community. Right. They got their own agenda right, right. and they're not saving us from no. there. The things are not getting better. Right. We need to take leadership and make it local. Right. Yeah, and I'm hoping that the young people are going to do that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it seems like it's just gotten too big. There's just too many dang people mm-hmm. to throw a big blanket over, you know, government like that. Yeah. yeah. Our government can't solve the problems no. for people. Like the problems for people, say, in New York City are really different than the problems for people in rural Northern California. Right. Right. Or even from New York to upstate New York. Exactly. It's a completely different, whether you're talking, you know, um, Democrat, Republican, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's a completely different, you know, from Detroit to Mount Pleasant in Michigan. Yep. You know, you're going to find a whole different attitude, different opinion, different, you know. I mean, we know that we still need companies and we need people to go to work and we need people to be selling products and we need people to be producing products and we need people to be answering phones and helping customers. And we still, we need people to be uh, working on projects. I mean, there's still, we need the people with the big companies, right? If everybody says, I just want to do my own thing. Yeah. We're in big trouble. Right. We can't all do our own thing. We're too, there's too many of us in too small of a space, but I think there's better ways of um, operating. And as an HR person now, and I'm, with a lot of experience and education and certification behind me, I, I, I know that companies are looking at how are we going to get people uh, to stay working and feel engaged and feel um, rewarded, not only financially, because the number one point that people make when they're surveyed about what what's important to them at a company is recognition. Mm. They just want to be recognized for having, for, for their con- contribution. That's even weighs out heavier than the economics. People would prefer, it's not that they don't want to make more money. Everybody wants to make more money, right? But that they, when they're, when they're surveyed, when people, when employees are surveyed, the number one thing that they appreciate the most is recognition, mm. whether it's um, just even their boss saying you did a great job or say a, you know, birthday party for everybody in August and there's cake and there's, food and then put up signs and then their names are up there. It's some recognition as a, who they are as a human being. Right. right? And then and part of this team that they're working with too, exactly. that they feel like they're part of this team, but a little personal recognition, a little pat on the back. Sure. Yeah. 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 But of course then there's the economic, right? Yeah. Well, how I know a lot of I've HR, seen companies send home, you know, just a little, I just want to thank you for being such a great employee. Mm-hmm. 
you know, holy cow, I'll light you up for a month. Right. You know, right, holy right. cow, somebody recognized me. Yep. Yep. You Even know, little that's huge. programs really like employees of the month and sure. maybe you get a special parking oh, place, right, you get right. a little yeah, award, right, or you right. get a hundred dollar gift card. How about that? Right. Then uh, that's economic and recognition. Like sure, right. a lot of companies are trying to do more and more of that. Uh-huh. And I think the other thing that I've noticing there's a trend towards what they're calling a more f- a flatter organization, and what that means is they're they're disseminating the chain of command, yeah. right? that militaristic chain of command. Right. And of course, you can't completely flatten an organization because somebody has to make big decisions, right? right. There has to be some type right. of hierarchy, um, but some of the more modern companies like Google, Amazon, some you know. Facebook, the, they're they're running a what they call a flatter organization. So decisions are made even at lower levels. Certain types of decisions are made even at lower levels. And I think certain that, types, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> so you have to be careful of how you structure that. Right. But it's retaining employees, especially oh, the really? younger generation, because they can make a decision because they want they're part they of want the, that responsibility. Right, right, right. They want to show what they can do. Sure. That's, what gives them purpose? Mm-hmm. Let me show you what I can do. Yeah. Instead of this heavy chain of command, like the decisions are made behind closed doors, and out comes the big bosses saying, "Okay, well, now we're going to do this, and you better, you know, you better do it." Right. Because there's this thing called change management. Yeah. And I, uh, I recently, you know, got my Shrim certification in HR, which is a big darn deal because uh, Shrim is the largest. Uh, HR association in the world. Mm-hmm. And I studied for a year to get this certification. And one of the big things that interests me the most, and I'm actually thinking about getting a separate specialist certification in it is change management. Like how do you make change smooth for mm. everybody in the organization? And these heavy chain of the chain of command companies mm-hmm. that happens to be the company I work for now is still very, big on chain of command because it's an old family company with kind of that conservative, uh, you know, we, we still have to have the big guys up in the, exactly. in the behind closed doors. Sure. It's a great company, by the way, yeah, They're yeah. a great, great company, but they are really into that. And what happens is they make these ideas. They, of course they have to make decisions and then they walk out and they go, this is what's going to happen. And you all have to do it. Right. What happens is if you don't involve the people, are affected by the change in the change management Mm -hmm. you get a lot of resistance and kickback and less productivity so how does that work right so this is it's simple you come out of those doors that you just made this change the decisions to make these changes and instead of going okay everybody this is what you have to do because i say you have to do it right you say hey you get all those people who are going to be affected by the change and you have a meeting and you go look here's the changes we're going to make you know, you're not asking them permission. Right. You're saying, here's, right. The, here's the changes we need to make. Um, maybe you explain why, maybe you don't, but this is the changes we need to make. We've made this decision. What do you need to make this change run smoothly for the work that you do for us? Oh, yeah. You right. involve them in the change. Yeah. That's how you flatten right, out right. an organization. All of a sudden, you've empowered people yeah. because you're saying, hey, your opinion matters to us yeah. because you do a good job and you do great work for us. Right. You also have to say to people, now we are, we may not be able to use all your ideas. Sure, right. right? Yeah. If it's logical, makes sense for the business, right. and it's affordable, it's economically feasible, we will take those cha- we will take those ideas and we'll implement them to make this change smooth for you. Right, right. And I think this is a lot of reasons why people are not engaged and they you know muddle through life and they're not involved is because they're not asked to be involved. 
Mm. Right? They're not given that responsibility. Right. What's next for me would be getting this information out. Right. Like I think right. um, a lot of what I would like to do is provide information for people. Like some of the teaching I'd like to do would be this. Yeah. How do we do change? Mm-hmm. Let's let me tell you how you can retain your employees better by using this change management procedure. It's not my original idea. This change management procedure was invented by other people, was mm-hmm. or not invented, but created or imp- developed and implemented by right. other people. Like right. Shrim um, is one of those companies and by people with way more experience and knowledge sure. than me. But, but companies are not hearing about it. They're not, right. they're not, taking it and implementing it themselves because no one's tried to tell them how it can work for them. So that's something I think about is maybe doing consultant work to companies right, on how right. to manage change and how to make it go smoothly for yeah. you. So a company could be <clears throat> even more effective and stay in business and retain employees. Right. Cause that's a big thing is retaining employees. Yeah, right. right. It takes a few of those things and wrap them up together and, you know, kind of like they do music, you know, they take, uh, you know, Elvis take, you know, some Southern music and mix it with rock and roll and repackage that and send it out. It's not something that nobody ever heard. You know, we've all heard Southern rock and you know, rock and, but he took it and took it to a new level, right? Just by taking two things together and packing like ZZ Top, taking uh, maybe a, an old bluesy thing and mixing it with uh, that and then repackaging. It's kind of what you need to do with this. You know, take yeah. what your knowledge here, take your knowledge there. It's not there, it's not new, but to combine them and put them into maybe a podcast or, you know, however you're going to try to get it out to the world, you know, the information's there. You just have to repackage it and put it out in your own way. And make it fresh. And make, make it, it fresh. New, yeah. Make it new in your own way. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I you know hear you. Saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That gives you a purpose and that gives you, you know, feel like you're doing something to help, you know. Yeah, because like I say, we have to still have companies and people still need to go get a job doing somebody else's dream. Mm-hmm. But if they felt like they were involved mm-hmm. in that dream, right. in that vision, then they would be more engaged. Right, the company right. would be more successful. People would be happier yeah, in their jobs. Exactly. Like right. the whole and thing is to bring purpose. everyone up. Right. right. We want to bring everyone up, not yeah. just the owner of big companies. Right. Or the CEO of a big company. Sure. Right? We want to bring everyone up to the next yeah. level. Yeah. I grew up in my dad's lumber company and worked in a lot of lumber companies, throwing a lot of lumber around and drive trucks. And if I've always banged heads with the management because they're, they just are so rigid and stiff. And it's my way to the highway. And, you know, I stay two hours loading trucks after I'm supposed to be there. But, boy, I'm two minutes late hitting that time clock. They're right over you, hating you. And it's like, mm-hmm. um, I do a lot. Yeah, because, right, recognition right. for what you do. And it's do just do. like, you know, doctor, write you up because you were five minutes late. It's like mm-hmm. one of my kids had to get to school. Maybe you forgot something. You got to be more lenient. I'm lenient. I was here all, I was here till dark loading trucks last night. I didn't get paid for that, but they don't want to hear that kind of crap. This is what you're supposed to do. And they just want to fire me for it. It's like, I just can't, I don't know. You know, I recently read something and I can't remember who wrote it, but it, it, it was along these lines of oh, something like build a great team so that no one even knows who the boss is. Right. Like 
why does why were those managers rigid with you? Because they needed to be the power and the authority. Right. So if we could, because we're afraid of giving away power and authority as a manager. Oh, I'm supposed to have this power and authority, right? right. That means I have to have power and authority. And almost enjoy some of that power too. Well, true. We're kind of a little freaky about that. And those kind of people kind of gener- generally end up in the management positions because they want control, yeah. you know, and yeah. oh, somebody like me. That just does not fly. Well, and that's why you work for yourself. <laughs> Exa- over and over again. No, yeah. I, I have a hard time with that too. And I, unfortunately, you know, my resume, one of the things on my resume is is is, is loyal and committed and hardworking as I am. I never stay t- anywhere too long. Right. It's right. one of the weaknesses of my funny? resume. Because by two years that this has happened 10,000 times to me where you know, managers didn't notice that I just worked, you know, 12, 14 hours a day for four days straight in a row. Right. And that next day I'm in, you know, maybe I'm in a half hour later, or I, even though I tell them, oh, why are you not, you know, one little thing that I right. didn't do, but then yeah. all this that I did do. Right. I know that, or I get bored to death because I've lost, they, it, now it's repetitive stuff and right. they're not giving me enough new, fresh exactly. projects to do. I remember my aunt calling my ex-wife one time and asking, you know, it's been about three years that Steve's been doing this. What's he going to do next? He doesn't usually last in things more than three years. And I was like, hey, wait a minute. She's kind of right, though. I do. I get bored. I want to move on. I get sick of it. But also because you're curious. You're a curious human being. So am I. I'm very curious. I'm not finding that purpose. Yeah. I've been doing this for over 10 years. I love it. I can't wait to do another 10 years. So it wasn't that. It's just maybe falling into where you're not getting recognition or you're not feeling like you're doing something, you know, good other than feeding the family and keeping a roof over their head. Or you're you're empowered with some some responsibility that's maybe a little bit more than what you've been doing. Sure, right. Companies need to keep giving their people more responsibility right? and let them succeed or fail. Yeah. Right. Um, but no, if they have that rigid, you know, chain of command where it's like, you know, just do what I say and don't right, question it right. and never involving them in yeah. the change process. That's what you're going to get right. all the time. It's been said a million times, but we went to school just in rows, keep looking forward you know, just do what you need to do. And, you know, cause they wanted factory workers and, you know, but now you've got the same rows of kids in school and, you know, to, well, there's not really any factory work anymore. You know, it's not really jiving with the way that they were trying to do that in the fifties right. with us, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like they wanted us to be workers yep we train to be worker bees you know and stay in line right get in right, line right. stay in line which is you know at the time you know we're coming out of a you know uh, uh, just a revolution of you know manufacturing and everything else they needed that mm-hmm. that's what they needed they need hordes of worker bees yep you and know? now there's not now there's not very little manufacturing there is in China is there you know that's we were outsourced yep right yep. you know you have to remember shoes are made that. in vietnam you know i always bought hush puppy shoes from michigan I always bought mm-hmm. red wings from you know wisconsin or you know but really flip them over they all say made in taiwan on them it's like it's hard it. to find things made in the u.s it is right it's like you know what i'm, I'm just not gonna buy stuff anymore it's like wait i try to find a blender that's made in america really hard it's not you know if it is it's 50 dollars more than 
But you know what? So I remember when we first started outsourcing and, and people were talking about this then. They were like, oh my God, here we go. No, no, but you're going to have, you know, your toasters will be like, you know, nine ninety five, And, your and they are. And they were. And now I don't, I've never seen. So at first there were toasters for like nine ninety five, sure, right? right? And irons for nine ninety five, uh-huh, right. and T-shirts for three ninety nine, yeah. And now there's not because no. the Chinese are also getting smart. Right. And the Chinese are having to pay their people more money. And yeah. then we have rising petroleum costs or whatever in the, 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 the shipping, shipping and, and all everything this. else. Right. They're getting smart. There's no more 995 toasters. Now they're 2995. Right. 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 Like the cheapest toaster I think I found in the, in like Target or one of those places was 2995. So all that's changed too. Right. So yeah, maybe it'll get us back to the point where maybe we can start opening some manufacturing plants here. We're going to need to create work for people. Right. There's EPA. There's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, bleeding heart people that don't want the manufacturing because it's going to cause pollution. Okay. I'm not saying it's not, but we got to get these people back to work and maybe make our own products and not be so... Um, needy and depe- dependent on dependent was the yeah, word I'm we don't want to be outsourcing everything and no. we certainly don't want to outsource our food because the minute we give away the, our, our food production to someone else oh we're in God. trouble right we're, we're right. in trouble right yeah. Yeah. and there's there's a lot of farms out there that are shipping overseas so when they you know when they shut down for their you know there was a lot of people in trouble that had farms that couldn't ship the product anymore overseas and all kinds of different problems with that. More than I thought. I didn't right. really realize how much food that we shipped over to other countries. Yeah, that can't grow enough of their own. Yeah, right. right. So exactly. that's a huge problem too, mm-hmm. you know. So we have to feed people and, yeah, we can't switch. But yeah, because, I mean, even even if we had manufacturing companies that had a lot of robotics, we need people who are trained to run those robotics. See, that's the thing. Maintain right. those robotics. Right, right. And program the... Still, that does nothing leaders. for the middleman, though. Right. You know, if you got engineers that are working on the robots and it's like, well, I guess that's kind of a middle class. Not really. <laughs> if you're yeah, I think engineers. Be trained. Like it could be a technical school thing where you, yeah. you know, there might not be people, there'll be people, there'll be engineers who design those robotics, but then there's people who need to, you know, oil the, oil the parts. Sure, right, and right. Make pro- everyday program. Okay. I want this robot to make 2000 pieces. You know, they need to punch in the numbers they need to monitor the robotic um you know uh action every day they need to stop the machine start the machine there's there will be jobs we'll we'll create it but yeah we should have we should open up manufacturing again and not have everything given away and especially because of the petroleum issues of shipping right right right. a lot of fuel to get things from overseas right i mean we we created globalization we can't stop it we created no. it. We can't stop it. It's, right. it's too late. And maybe it's not a bad thing. Right? Yeah. But a, we also need to take care of our own, too. We need yeah. to find a balance in that right. somehow. My grandpa built a successful business in Grand Rapids, Michigan, called Sparks Conveyor Belting. And he ended up selling that when he retired in his 70s. And he, like all of his business, he had many, many businesses, built furniture and all different types of things. And um, he sold it to the employees because that's just the way that, you know, he would do things because he wanted to do that. Well, less than a year later, they sold it. To this new, it's still up on the New York Stock Exchange, and they sold it for $200 million. That's not really what he was. And now the building's vacant. Oh, interesting. 
Interesting. And it's so they're crew. I don't know where they're getting it somewhere else on China, maybe or something. Maybe took, they, they outsourced. The, they, they took, took the business the, and everything over overseas. And what was the deciding factor? The two hundred million dollars. Yes. That was what My I was saying. My grandpa spent his whole life building that. And he thought from nothing. Doing giving it back to the right, people. Right, right. And, and the guy that sold the company came up to me and said, Well, it's too bad your grandpa didn't stick around a little longer because he would have got $200 million instead of the $20 million that he got. And I thought, You prick. To come up and say that to me when he was trying to. She was trying to sell it to the employees. That's just the way he was. He was from 1920s. He just wanted to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, he did the Give right thing. They, they, they got their... Yeah, yeah it how, was kind of sad because it's a... How long will that money last over the long term as gone. opposed to a company right. that could serve generations right. Right. of people? It's, no, right? it's on the New York Stock Exchange. Well, I guess that's cool. My grandpa's business is still out there, you know. Not really. But then there's a whole lot of people who will never have that opportunity to go get a job there because now it's overseas. It's gone. Yeah, right. providing another community, right. a different right. community where right. they work. Exactly. And we have to think about those kinds of things. But you, you see what I was what I was saying earlier to you, this, the bottom line is money. It's like, oh, I want my money now. Like, yeah. Oh, I want that. I don't want to provide for all the generations coming after me a, a, a consistent place to have work. I want money now yeah, right? I want to take right. my money and I want to get yeah, all excited about right, that right. yeah and I have to think we have to think about that like what is that about right? yeah that I question that yeah yeah 200 million sounds really cool but yeah it'll go away yeah faster than that company would have right you know. and the, the opportunity for jobs and all that yeah exactly so what's next isn't just a personal question it's a social question. It is. We need to be asking. Right. Society needs to be asking, what's next for yeah, us? Right. If there's nowhere for us to work other than, you know, Arby's and, you know, and, the, the and big. Kmart. Kmart, Kmart right? Yeah, the big, Kmart, right? Don't Walmart. They? Yeah, right. And, and right, big our, monsters. What do they pay? I don't know, twelve, fifteen. I don't know, whatever. They, whatever yeah. You know, $15 right, an hour, right. maybe. Yeah. Right, like flipping burgers or folding T-shirts yeah. or checking people out of the grocery store. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird thing because you hear about this, you know, it almost sounds intentional where um, a big company like Target or something will move into a small town and then all the grocery stores and everybody shut down. And while it's just not a feasible thing for this location, so they shut shut that down. Well, now they don't have the mom and pop stores. Mm -hmm. They don't have all the gas stations. They don't have anything. So and then they go shut that down. Well, you just dried up the whole town. Whole town. Yep. You just evaporated that whole town mm-hmm. by your greed. You sucked out all the money that you could possibly and it wasn't getting enough profit. Shut it down. Well, you but, remember, you and I are similar ages. You remember every town in America had a downtown. Yeah. And that's where you went. And there was a shoe store, right. clothing exactly. store, hardware store, right. grocery store. I went, when I, my mom, so we went to the German butchers for yeah, all our meats. Right, right. The German, they always used to give me pieces of smoked sausage right. tea, right? Oh, and then cool, it spoke right. to me in German. I didn't know what they were saying, right? <laughs> and then we went to the Italian produce market. There was yeah. a little store and you didn't touch it. Italian, the gentleman, sure, he right. picked out, oh, you want three apples? He picked them out for you, and they were perfect, right? He had them all stacked perfectly. Oh, really? Yeah, and then we went to the... He took know, pride, he, didn't he? he right? did, and then 
you know, we brought our bread and milk at a local store that yeah. was like a, owned by this family where you had bread and milk. Right. And, and, you know, so, and we remember <clears throat> those downtowns, right? The hardware store, they knew everybody in your family. Sure. They remembered that you had Armstrong windows or whatever, and you needed that kind of handle. Exactly, and, right. They knew each other, and then those downtowns are all gone. Sure. I remember the first mall. I come from a very rural town, but we used to go into this big town. And uh, I remember the first mall that went in, and everybody was like, "Oh my God, the mall!" Holy cow! And so my, my grandma, and my <laughs> it's a big mom, city now, big shoppers, right? So yeah. like, I was not really into, but I had to go along. With it. Sure. So we went to the mall, and then I watched just what you're saying, little by little by little, downtown became a ghost town. Yeah. So you're right. Like that took away jobs from people who had right, generations right. of family businesses. Yeah. And where did they go to work? They went bagging at one of the stores. They had a bag right. or greet people or cashier. I remember pulling into the gas station and a guy would run out. Hey, Sandy, how you doing? To my mom, you know, you need a pack of cigarettes. Bring out the chunk chunk. They'd run the little wash card, wash your window. You want me to check your oil for you? You know, it was like, you know, and in crispy white uniform, you know. Like, that wow. person had a purpose. They had a purpose. They and they knew everybody. Yeah, you know, he was the guy. You know, he knew my mom by name, and you know, it was like that's that's really cool. Yeah, knew what she smoked. Had have her Winston's. You know, seventies. <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Pulling in her little Volkswagen Bug. You know, so mm-hmm. that's great. And those things have gone away, and I I feel sad about that in a lot of ways. I do too. Because right. I think when like that person, you think, oh, what kind of job was that? Well. It was a beautiful job because you were a part of a community, yeah, part of, right, of right. that community, and people appreciated your service. And you, you were, you knew that serving sure. that to serve them, yeah, was your purpose. Right. Like now, you go into places and people don't even acknowledge you. Right. Right. I've, so on Fridays, the milkman would come, and you, yeah. you know, you make a little list and you had the little check I want to get the chocolate milk and a couple of white milks and maybe some cottage cheese and talk to me hey, how you doing Bob whatever and he'd bring all your stuff for you that's maybe that's an idea to bring because it's some that's a good job right now you know well and there are farmers that are doing what they call um, CS uh, community CS oh I've forgotten the word for it. CSE boxes CSE or C CS something or others, community sustainable, CSA boxes, community okay. sustainable agricultural oh, I see, right. boxes. So you can, there's a bunch of them online. You can go online or you can find them through like agricultural associations and they pack up a box of fresh produce every week and deliver it to your door. Oh, no kidding. There's a lot of farmers, especially wow. mostly sustainable farmers, yeah. ones that are growing right. things without chemical pesticides and yeah. herbicides there it's a big thing so there is that happening but i don't not on a big enough scale yeah right we'll, we'll uh we'll put those on the uh, on the <clears throat> podcast and get those two people in case they want to do that you yeah. know that'd be a really yeah good, CSA good idea boxes. CSA there might boxes. be somebody local doing it okay too. i can ch- i can find those people for yeah. locally yeah so yeah yeah search those out and Save a farm somewhere and mm-hmm. wherever. <laughs> yeah, because even agriculture has become, you know, big business and it's difficult for the small guy. I mean, I worked, before I worked for the company I work for now, which is thousands of people and huge, and 
I work for small family farmers. Did you really? Many of them have had to sell out. They've sold their yeah, land because right. what what they they were they were they could not afford to mechanize like some of the big players. For instance, uh, I worked for Warren Weber of Star Route Farms, and I mentioned him by name because he, if you you look him up, uh, Alice Waters, a, a very famous uh, foodie person from Berkeley, and uh, she's written books. She actually has written about Warren Weber. So Warren Weber. Uh, he was a '60s guy, you mm. know, and he um, he opened up his farm, Star Route Farms, in Bolinas, California, and he was the first person to bring the mescaline mix mm. from Europe. The idea of the mescaline mix and what the mescaline mix is is the pre-washed salad greens. Right? Oh wow! So he that was that was created in Europe long before we thought about it. Okay. And he spent a bunch of time in Europe, so you know, in, after during college and after college, and he said, "Wow." This would be a great product. And he always, his his love was agriculture. So he came and he bought some land in Bolinas, California when it was cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he started a salad mix farm and he called it mescaline mix. So he was the first person to, and he's an organic grower, so a mm. sustainable agricultural uh, operation. And he brought that idea and he was the first salad mix in the United States. Wow. And uh, it was called mescaline mix. And I mean, we, when, when I worked for, I worked for Warren twice, I ran his whole Southern farm down in the Coachella Valley. When we were uh, at our, our peak, we were getting $15 a box wholesale. Mm. You can now buy salad mix by Earthbound Farms mm-hmm. at Rayleigh's and Safeway. You buy that for five bucks a box. Can you imagine what the farmer's making for that? Right. We hand harvested all our little greens, all our spinach, all our, everything right. was hand harvested by people and then washed in a salad mix uh, packing shed, $15, $15 box wholesale. So it was being sold to the stores that you would, mm, you and I would go right. to shop at for, you know, it was much more expensive than what it is now. Now it's like, you know, you get it for pennies. Yeah. Well, we couldn't compete when he finally had to shut down his, the most of his operation. And he just had a niche market with like the, the four five star restaurants in, San Francisco and the Bay Area, and that's how he ended his career. His farm has now been sold to San Francisco University. Mm. They have it as an experimental farm. They still sell his product, but he's retired now because of the big players like Earthbound. Mm. Like Earthbound came in, they brought up lots of land, they mechanized, and they created, they t- took that salad mix that we were doing by hand and turned it into just a mechanized operation. Oh, no kidding. And boom, the price fell to the floor. And if small farmers like Warren could not afford to mechanize, which we couldn't, I think we had a total of 250 acres between the north and the southern farm. Earthbound had thousands of acres and and big machines that were harvesting it. We could not compete. So a lot of these small farmers, and that's not the only farmer, Coke Farm, a lot of the small family farms had to fold up shop. Couldn't they just give the product to the other companies that are... No, because we were harvesting it by hand. We had to mechanize, and those those machines were like, woo, over-the-top expensive. So only the big players could afford the machines. And small, a lot of small family farms didn't see what was coming. Yeah. Right? And some of them did. Um, There's a local guy up in... uh, San Juan Bautista, Phil Foster, mm. incredible organic farmer. Really? Uh, I know Phil and his operation, and um, he was smart in another way. 
he started diversifying. So he grows like everything you could possibly grow in oh, San Juan wow. Bautista. Yeah. And he has some land that's closer to the Hollister end of his town and closer than some land that's over here. Yeah. So he has fruit trees. He has bell peppers. He has to me, he has celery. He has, so he could, because he was so diversified, he didn't have to spend, he didn't have to worry about losing money like in the salad mix. I business. see, right. And he, he, he's a guy that might be good. I think he does the CSA boxes. Oh, yeah. But because he diversified... He was able to stay in business as a small family farm. In, in the case of Warren, he had a good diverse, we had good diversification, but the main core of his business was the mesclin mix. Oh, I see. And so when we lost that market, uh, other than having it in the five-star restaurants, he had to downsize. Mm. And, you know, the truth is if he hadn't downsized, I'd probably still be at that farm. Oh, really? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was a dream of mine to run one of his farms and yeah. I realized that dream, but we, we had a downsize because of the market yeah. changing. And everything. Yeah. But this goes along with your story of the milkman delivering and right, right. The, the small the companies in the community serving the people. Just getting eaten up. Instead of it just being like this, we don't even know where our stuff comes from. We no, don't know. not a clue. Yeah. Right. Right. People grab a milk off the counter. But I mean, you know, milk. I'm, I, I'm, I, I probably wouldn't eat salad if it wasn't in a pre-mixed bag. I wouldn't chop up everything. I wouldn't do all it's that. Convenient, and, and carrots. Isn't it? It's convenient. You know, yeah. as much as I bitch about plastics and this and that, but the truth is if I if it wasn't for a, a mixed salad in a bag, I wouldn't eat salad. No, <laughs> really it's a great wouldn't. thing. And I'm glad yeah. they keep at least we still have it, yeah, right? right? It's just sad that small family farms yeah. had to it's sell out to too the bad big. that they can't yeah. sell their product to the bigger guy so they can use it in their mix. Mm-hmm. You know? But why would the big guy want them to survive, I guess? Yeah. No, because it's about big. It seems like you it's just kinda big. all put your heads together and you know, you're growing celery, great. You're growing lettuce, great. You're growing you know. Well, and I think there is still some of that. There is a lot of that. There's still some of that, but you know, you're kind of on your own out there to to stay in line with where the market's at, and Mm -hmm. uh, going big is where what is what happened to agriculture. Right. If you didn't go big and you didn't mechanize, you lost it, and a lot of farms went down like that. Yeah, lots and lots of generations old farms too. You know, it's just the way it's changing. Up. You either had to find a, a niche market, grab. Or diversify, or get Sell or mechanize. Money. Yeah, right. So much of agriculture now is mechanized. Just so much money. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of money. Is there a good return? I know, like in the lumber industry, you got a very small profit margin. Is it, it depends farming on the a lot product. like that too? No, yeah. it depends on the product, and and there's you know there's trends, and then. The, you know, with agriculture, right. if something's, you've got a pest or you've got an extra dry year or an extra wet year, yeah. and then you've got problems. You can have mold, you can have yeah. blights, you can have pest pressure. And the more, unfortunately, I know there'll be a lot of uh, conventional farmers who won't want to hear this, but the more chemicals we use, the more chemicals we have to use. Really? Um, because pests become resistant. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. uh, and then, then, then that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. That, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, I know like, uh, and, uh, I've talked to guys. Chemicals are expensive too. That's the other thing is chemical pesticides, whether it's a fungicide, herbicide, redundicide, whatever, 
they're expensive. Right. So that adds an extra cost on sure. farming. I talk to people that try to grow different things like marijuana or whatever um, organically. And it's really interesting how they do it in different phases. At this point, they'll bring in the grasshoppers. At this point, they'll bring in a different type of pest. This one will eat these types of things. And then they'll introduce different, uh, I don't know exactly the process, but it's all done, I mean, organically. Like they'll say, it's like if you're killing pests, you're still giving it a pesticide, even though it's organic. I get what they're saying, but it's not done with the chemicals. Yeah, yeah. Right? And it's hard. Uh, it's sustainable hard. farming is not right, easy. Right. It's not easy because you there are tons of pests, and because we, pests. we're monocropping. <laughs> so monocropping is you know one is an entire Salinas Valley full of lettuce. That's right. monocropping. Right, right. Right. When you that's not the way we're meant to farm. By the no. way, we are meant right. to have a variety of products right. because when pests, especially like say flying pests, like now this isn't true of all pests, but. Uh, you know, if a flying, some flying pests, when they come in to an area, if they, there's, they see color or, or sense or sense, um, if, if they don't see a lot of what they want, they'll fly right over it. Mm. There's a good example of, uh, down in the Coachella Valley. Once I uh, was, took some pictures. I was down there on a farm review before I lived there and the squash growers had, put these um, these angled posts in the ground above their plants on each bed, right? And they were angled. So, and then in they had this white cloth uh, woven in between the posts so that with the, with the going in the direction of the general, the, the prevailing winds, because mm-hmm. these, bu- these pests would come in on the prevailing winds, right? So they'd go over and all they'd see was the white cloth and they'd go right over the squash. No kidding. Yeah. So right. they wouldn't land on the sure, squash. Sure, right, right. So there, there's an example of a sustainable method right. of keeping the pests off your land. But then that's about monocropping. Like if we had, you have rows of one thing and rows of another thing and rows of another thing and then you have fruit trees and you have flowers and you have the pests, there's plants can harbor or host good pests. I mean, plants can harbor or host good pests that then eat the bad pests, right? Such as ladybugs are good pests. Mm, There's certain kinds of wasps that are good um, pests. Praying mantis, I think. Praying mantis are good pests. Um, And, and, but we we're monocropping now. And I think in defense of conventional farming, they have to, because we have to feed the masses. The population is just yeah, out and of people hand. aren't growing their well, food. Well, I have heard of it's kind of a new wave going on where people are splitting up their land in like four different ways, you know, and they'll grow soybean and blah blah, blah on this one and have some cattle or, you know, and then grow something else on this part, another piece on this, and then after a couple of years they'll switch it around, rotate, yeah, or grow something different you know, alfalfa or, you know, whatever on this one. And they'll just keep switching it around or, you know, and, and it's better for the land. It is. The and dirt, it's a, the it's dirt itself. Yeah. It's right? a good, that's a good help. That way it doesn't deplete, you know, like we were talking about with drops of balance. It's just, there's so many minerals that aren't in the soil anymore because of what you're saying. If we're just growing and growing and growing and growing on the same dirt, 
Yep. You know. Yep. So they do that. Like even in Salinas Valley, you'll see you'll if you drive over there, you'll see <laughs> romaine lettuce in one field, and then the next season you'll see broccoli, and then the next season you'll right. see. Right. Uh, do they do that? Artichokes. Oh, no yeah, kidding. they do. Yeah, they okay. do it. But they're not rotating enough, and the problem over there is it's such so so chemical chemical farmed oriented that you know you're you're leaching the soil i mean it's just you're you're killing the soil because a lot of conventional growers think that they don't they don't really care if the soil is fertile you know that what they care is that there's no pests in it right so um that's one of the downfalls of conventional farming is that you are destroying you're killing the soil then you add it back in the fertilizers, right? Mm. So you kill it so that nothing can grow right, there, right. and then you have to add back in the fertilizers. Right. I mean, we we can't get away from conventional farming right now. We, we've created a society where people aren't growing enough food, and big growers have to grow for people. So in defense of them, they're doing the best they can, yeah. right? Um, and it would be it's very hard for them to rotate enough, right? And if you got if you have to grow lettuce for how many? How many yeah, million of people? How many know. millions of people? They're in the United States. Don't even know. Yeah. You have to grow romaine lettuce for millions of people. You can't have a row of lettuce here. Yeah, right. a Row of carrots there. You have to have hundreds of acres, thousands of acres of lettuce, right? Right. So in their defense, they're doing the best they can yeah. to feed America. Right. Right. Without that, I mean, and they do rotate, but it's not enough rotation. I see. Yeah. Right. You mentioned alfalfa, by the way, like. We, I don't think Salinas could grow alfalfa. It's not the right climate, but that's a great soil conditioner. So Is it? You'll see that a lot where people will rotate. Uh, I work for a grower, uh, James Durst Farming, up in Yolo County, uh-huh. fifth-generation uh, Yolo County farmer. Great people, and they converted their farm to sustainable when he took it over from his dad, and he rotates alfalfa. So he'll plant alfalfa in a field, and he'll leave it there for about three to, three to four years and he gets he sells that alfalfa to Strauss uh, Dairy oh, nice. because that's a sustainable uh, dairy, right? And he gets good price. And then when that soil is replenished with nitrogen from the alfalfa, he'll pull it out and he'll start putting his Roma tomatoes or his melons or his cucumbers or his eggplant yeah. in there. And then he takes another field out of production from like tomatoes or whatever he else he grows, and he'll put that into alfalfa, the alfalfa into that one, right? Years, right. yeah, and. Right. And it's a high nitrogen type of plant or something. Yeah, is that what it is? It's I extraordinary. See. It breaks really? up the soil. Okay. It adds nitrogen back in. Well, it t- actually takes nitrogen while it's growing, but then when you um, disc it back in, it puts the nitrogen sure. back in. Right, so, right. Yeah. There's be a lot of plant matter to go back yeah. in. Yeah, and so right. he'll let it, that last crop grow yeah. and he won't harvest that last one. Oh, I see. And then they go in. Oh, and, and just they, grind it right yeah, in, huh? Grind it right in. Yeah. Nice. Just do a mow and then do a disc and then chisel and get that organic material high in nitrogen the little nitrogen nodules on the roots get that material back into the soil so that would be like the ideal but i don't salim's valley probably can't grow it's too too wet there oh is it too wet yeah yeah for alfalfa i don't think it would grow there and also salim's valley couldn't afford to have a field out of commission for three to four years <laughs> right, I mean, there's just barely enough ground to grow everything we need now for lettuce broccoli cauliflower yeah. The things that we grow over there, right? So, um, fennel. What else do we grow over there? There's some some celery in the Slaves Valley. Um, artichokes. Uh, what else is growing over there? Well, strawberries. Yeah, there's big strawberry growers and stuff there. I don't think they could take a field out for four to five years. Really? Or three to four years. Right, so, right. Uh, that would really 
and, and although alfalfa gets a pretty good price, mm-hmm. it's not like lettuce and strawberries. I see, right? Broccoli. I mean, you, you know, it's it's very low. Yeah, cost. it's a low. And yeah. you have to bale it, and you got to stack it, and all that moisture from the fog. You'd have moldy. You'd have oh, moldy hay. Right, I think you can't right, grow. Right. I don't know. There's probably people over in Salinas that would know better than me, but I don't think alfalfa would grow there. No. Yeah, yeah. Right. You can't have fog when you after when you mow when you hay, when you uh, do the when you do the uh, harvesting and then you lay it out mm-hmm. and then you come in and bale it. I mean, all right. that moisture on it would just turn it into mold. There's just too much yeah. to know about farming. Yeah. Oh my God. There's <laughs> just too much I to know. know. They think it's like stick some, people think, oh, they stick some seeds in the ground and you're yeah, like, oh. no, yeah. no. You need oh to know so much. Yeah. yeah. You do. Yeah. Yeah. You're not just a farmer. You're a mechanic. Yeah. You're, you're you know, you're a uh, pest control person. You are everything. You know, you're, you're a salesperson. Right. You're, you know, Problem solvers. Definitely the scientist, though. That's probably number one. That too, yeah. You, know, you really you have to know what you're doing mm-hmm. with the dirt, what kind of things will grow in that particular dirt. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, thank you so much for being here today. We learned so much and had a good time and went longer than we thought. Got so much to talk about. Perfect. Yeah, well, what's next? That's the big question, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. I hope you can come back sometime. I'd love to do that. Yeah, we'll do this in a few months again and see where everything's at. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Good, good. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steve.